As we look at the pursuit of Christian excellence, we have uh, looked at different lessons on faith and how we are to pursue something better than the average Christian. We want to be uh, better than the average Christian as we might look at them. And today's lesson is going to be specifically based on studying the Bible and the importance of studying the Bible and how it applies to us as Christians and how we can use it to better ourselves in God's service. And so today's lesson is titled, Students of the Word, Getting More Out of Bible Study. And we do want to be students of the Word. It is important for each of us as Christians. Let me ask you, do you study your Bible? Do you study your Bible regularly? Do you get the most out of your studies or do you feel that something is lacking? And, and I don't mean it in the way that, you know, whenever we study the Bible, I know I realize that there are so many things that I don't know. And I realize more how much I don't know uh, the more that I study. Uh, but do you feel like you're, you're doing enough as far as Bible study? Do you feel like you're getting the most out of what you're doing? Would you be interested in learning how to be a better Bible student? And I hope that you would be. And hopefully in that case, this lesson will be helpful to you. The most important part about studying the Bible is that we grow. When, we, when it comes to studying the Bible, it is so important that we grow. That's the purpose of it. Uh, as it is given by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. That's the important part of Bible study. The writer of Hebrews elaborates on that, that same idea of the milk of the word. In Hebrews chapter 5 verses 13 and 14. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Basically, the more mature uh, when it comes to Christianity, if we remain on the milk of the Word, if we uh, just know the basics about the Bible, then we're not going to be the Christians that God wants us to be. I, I would look at a person who uh, is only on the milk of the Word as the average Christian. The average Christian will listen to a sermon They'll listen to a Bible class, but, but their learning doesn't go beyond what they hear if they really even take that in. It's up to us to study so that we get to the solid food of the Word. Uh, some of the more difficult things and knowledge of some of the more difficult things of Scripture so that we can be mature and so that we grow. Our goal is to be spiritually mature in knowledge and application of the Word. And the only way for us to be spiritually mature 
is through our own personal study of the Bible. We're not going to be mature if we only take what we hear in sermons and Bible classes and we do nothing with it. Our lesson objectives for this morning are, first of all, to learn how to better study God's Word so as to learn and grow, properly applying uh, the Word to our lives. That's what we want to do. And also to be able to share our knowledge of the Word with friends, family, acquaintances. We want to be able to share, uh, not that we know a lot about the Bible, but share those things that we know so that they can mature themselves, so that they can be uh, influenced in the right way. And so those are, are our goals for this lesson. Our first point is, what does it mean to study the Bible? What does it mean to actually study the Bible? And one might ask, well, you know, is there really a difference in reading and studying? And I would suggest to you that there is a difference in reading and studying. Just think back to your own school days and, and think of the classes that you had. And think of the tests that you took especially. Now, if you took a test based on what you read, maybe out of the textbook, maybe just what you had from general knowledge of class, how well did you do on that test? And I would most likely guess that, that you probably didn't do that well. It takes studying of the Word. And teachers will encourage you to study at home. They'll give you exercises to study at home. Uh, they'll tell you to take your textbook home. Uh, read this much. Study it at home. So you have more than just the general knowledge of the topic. So that you're ready for those tests that they have prepared. And it's the same way with the Bible. If we only read, uh, maybe just read in our sermons, if you just read along, or maybe you even read at home, there's a difference in reading and studying. Uh, reading is defined basically as the action or skill of reading written or printed material silently or aloud. And this is, is something that we might consider basic knowledge. It's basic knowledge to know how to read. Now there are certain words that, that obviously that, that maybe we don't all understand based on our maturity, uh, based on our time in school and the things that we have learned. But we all have a basic grasp of reading different things. But studying is defined as devoting time and attention to acquiring knowledge. Now I'll tell you that, that if I read something, especially if there's a lot of noise around me, I'm not going to take it in the best way. I, I don't study that well under those conditions. And Marissa is the opposite. She likes to have noise around her. And, and uh, so we, we have a, a difference there in how we study. But I can't fully concentrate. I can't fully take it in. And that's what studying is. It's devoting time and attention to taking whatever we're reading in. Not just having a basic grasp of what we're reading, but, but really letting it sink in and trying to understand what it means. Uh, studying requires more from us than simple reading. 
It, it requires us to apply ourselves to the task of not only reading the Bible in this instance, but devoting ourselves to understanding what it says and what it means. Now if we devote our, ourselves to understanding what we're reading, that means that we're going to ask questions. Uh, maybe we ask them of ourselves. Maybe we write them down or, or note them down somewhere so that we can go back to those questions later on and try to, to, to get a grasp of, of what is being said. But studying is much different than reading. To embark upon a study of God's Word requires us to have a heart that is fully devoted to doing the will of God. True spiritual growth takes time and devotion to the cause. Those who start from the beginning, you think of starting in the Old Testament, will often find it difficult to continue toward the end of Exodus and reading into Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And those books seem to be very difficult to really comprehend. A lot of them are genealogies or laws and things of that nature that have a lot of detail. Genesis is not that hard to read, but when we get to Exodus, that's when we find uh, some difficulty if we're, we're trying to do it from the beginning. And those who don't have a heart devoted to it will often give up. Uh, some of the New Testament letters are difficult to understand. Uh, the book of Romans in particular. There's a lot of detail in the book of Romans. And it's hard to, to come to a real firm grasp of what is being said. The regular reader is not going to understand it. It's something that we have to devote time and attention to. And again, if we're not fully devoted to studying the scriptures, if our heart is not in the right place or, or it's really just not in what we're doing, then we'll end up giving up easily, often. The writers of Scripture loved God. And they loved His Word. I don't remember who this illustration is about, but it's something that I've used on occasion. It's something that I remember from years ago. Now, I remember a preacher telling the story of a woman who, who tried to read a book. And she picked it up and she read a few pages and she just wasn't really grasping uh, what the author was trying to say. Well, as it happens sometime in the future, from that event, she met the author. She spent time with the author. She fell in love with the author. And she went back to that book. And she read it from cover to cover. And what was the difference? She loved the author. And because she loved the author, she loved the book. And when it comes to the Bible, that's the way it needs to be for us. If we love the author, then we'll love the book. Psalm 119, beginning in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. 
I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments. For you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. And nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I, I hope for your salvation. And I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. Now, loving God means we must keep His commandments. If we love God, we love His Word, we study His commandments, and we keep them. And to keep them, we must know them. If we're going to keep the commands of God, we've got to know what those commands are. And we only come to an understanding of those commands by study. John 14, verses 23 and 24. Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and to make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my word. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Knowing the will of God also requires that we put into practice proving it in our everyday lives. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And again, a heart that is not fully devoted to God will not be properly motivated to study His Word. It will also not be properly motivated to keep His commands. We also see in Scripture the need for due diligence. That word diligence means a great deal to us. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, reading verses 14 and 15, remind them of these things charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I want to look a, a little bit deeper at the translation of verse 15. The King James is the one that is more familiar to us and it uses the word study. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Uh, the Greek word behind study or be diligent depending on what your translation uses, the Greek word is spaldasin which literally means hasten. 
hasten to present yourself approved to God. It's another rendering of that. It is also translated elsewhere as be earnest. And in verse 15, Paul is telling Timothy to strive to be approved to God, rightly dividing the word of truth. He is to strive for that. That's what we do when we study. That's what we do if we are diligent to present ourselves approved unto God. We strive for it. And the end of that verse, rightly dividing the word of truth, is also rendered elsewhere as handling accurately the word. It requires diligence. It requires diligence or eagerness on the part of the student in order to do this. Uh, the not-so-diligent student will be mistaken in interpretation and will also be more likely to teach false doctrine, maybe even unintentionally. But we need to be well-studied. I've also seen it go the other way. I've seen people that have studied themselves silly, if you will, uh, with some of the things that they've come up with. But in order to have a firm grasp on the Word, we must study. We must be diligent in our studies. Uh, the diligent student is less likely to make the same mistakes. And if he is mistaken in interpretation as a diligent student, he is willing to correct his errors when pointed out. Uh, I take the example of Apollos in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 26. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he, only, or though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. He had only been taught to a certain point. What he knew, he was mighty in. But when Aquila and Priscilla took him aside and, and taught him further the word, we see that he took that into consideration. He took that into his studies. He took that into his knowledge. And as we are told, Apollos was mighty in the scriptures. He was a diligent student of the word. But when he learned more accurately the scriptures, he taught more accurately the scriptures concerning baptism and its purpose following Jesus' death. He went about teaching the truth from God's word. Studying, not just reading, uh, loving God as well as the Word He has given us and applying ourselves to understanding and rightly dividing the Scriptures will greatly improve our spiritual growth, which is our goal. As we come to a greater understanding and knowledge of the truth, we are able to understand many of the things not fully realized when we begun. Uh, beginning with milk, as babies do, we are soon able to graduate to solid food, as we read in Hebrews 5, 13, and 14. Uh, understanding the more difficult passages whose meanings were once a mystery to us. 
Paul encouraged Timothy as a minister to be well nourished in the teachings of Scripture. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. Might ask, why do we need to study God's Word? Why isn't it acceptable that we just listen and, and apply to our lives what's being taught us? Is there more to it than that? I want you to notice from Acts 17 that the Bereans were praised for searching the Scriptures for themselves. Acts 17 and verse 10, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women, as well as men. We see in verse 11 that they received the word with all readiness. And they searched the scriptures on occasion. That's not what it says. They searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And we as preachers, we appreciate the sound of pages turning. And even if we can't hear pages turning, I don't mind seeing an iPad out I, just, just to see that somebody's following along in hopes that they are following along and not doing something else. But that's a good thing to do. I've often heard people tell me uh, regarding sermons that they take notes of the Scriptures. They go home and, and they'll read them later. That's a good thing to do. I want you to do that. Because I may not say something exactly right. And if so, I want you to question it. If someone else were to stand in this pulpit and teach something false, I want you to question it. I want you to go home and find it out for yourselves from what is said in Scriptures. Paul prayed that the Colossians would increase in knowledge, wisdom, and understanding Colossians 1 verses 9 and 10 For this reason we also since the day we heard it do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing Him being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He was praying that the Colossians would not be the average Christian. That they would want to be better. That they would increase. That they would grow. And if that is our goal, we have to understand that this is something that they must strive for themselves. It's not something that's just going to be given to them. Or something that's just going to happen. It's something they have to strive for. Something they have to be, be diligent in. Something that they have to be earnest in. And Paul himself is a wonderful example 
of not being the average Christian. In his final writings, remember that he asked for the books and the parchments. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. You see, even in his final days, and he recognized them to be his final days. And even so, he was seeking for himself greater knowledge of the Word, greater knowledge of God, greater knowledge of His will. We must be aware of false teaching, and the only way to know the difference between it and the truth is to know the truth well by increasing in knowledge daily. I still remember Kurt's class not too long ago on a counterfeit bill. How do you know a counterfeit from the real thing? You know the real thing. And if you know the real thing, you're going to know when something isn't the real thing. It's the same way with the Word. The only way to know the real thing is by knowing the real thing. Running the spiritual race. When I think of the word diligence, uh, this is something that comes to mind. Our spiritual journey is referred to often in Scripture as a foot race, a race of some sort. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. As Jesus endured a great deal of adversity in his years on earth, so he must face many obstacles. The Hebrew writer encourages us to run with endurance. Not giving up at the first sign of trouble, beginning stages of the race. Uh, not finding something and, and just quitting. Run with endurance. Paul ran with endurance. And so we are given the example that we must also run with endurance. The race that is set before us. Always looking unto Jesus. Now to run the race, we must first qualify for the race. Now, how does one qualify for the race of life? First of all, by obedience to the gospel. Faith and confession of it. Repentance, a changing of course. And baptism for the remission of sins. Those things are necessary if we are to qualify for the race. What we know is, as the plan of salvation. However, we have to recognize that obedience only qualifies us for the race. It doesn't help us to end the race necessarily. It doesn't mean that we're going to finish the race faithfully. But it does mean that we are qualified for the race that is set before us. Now, it is up to us to train for that race. I watch racing, NASCAR. Some of you are interested in it, some of you are not. 
But in regard to that kind of race, the drivers must qualify for the race. And after they've qualified for the race, they have to practice for the race. And so there will be two or three practice sessions before each race so that they can get their car just right so that they can be in the race, so that they can run the race well. And that's exactly what the plan of salvation does for us. It qualifies us for the race. But it's something that we must be diligent in if we want to go further than just qualifying for the race if we want to run the race well. Again, go back to Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present what? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Our being, not our physical body, but our spiritual body. That we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 11 but reject profane and old wise fables and exercise yourself. Exercise yourself toward godliness. For bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance. For to this end we, who lab we both labor and suffer reproach. Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. These things command and teach. Now to be our best, uh, to be in our best spiritual shape, requires more than a week, one weekly workout. If someone is really training for something, it's going to take more than one day a week or, or even the night before. It's going to take time. And it's something they have to devote themselves to. Any athlete will take time in training themselves for a competition, for a race, for whatever it is, but it's the same way with Christians. We must take time to train ourselves for the spiritual race that we are running. And again, these are things that we must do for ourselves. That we can't expect it just to be given to us. Uh, if we just expect to have these things given to us, we, we won't run with endurance the race that is set before us. We must do them for ourselves if we expect to not only qualify for the race, but, but to run with endurance. And as with any competition, there is a prize involved. Nearing the end of his life, Paul could see the prize awaiting him. Uh, not physically, but he could see the prize before him. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6-8. through 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved disappearing. Paul saw a crown of righteousness 
that awaited him in his eternal reward. Many of the Old Testament examples who were faithful in life were seeking a heavenly homeland. Hebrews 11 verses 13 through 16, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. They were looking for what God had already prepared for them or was preparing for them. Even though they couldn't see the reward physically, by faith they could see it. And faith was their victory. Jesus' encouragement in Matthew 6 verses 19 through 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The spiritual race that we run has many participants. But unlike the Olympics or any other kind of competition that we could imagine, when it comes to our spiritual race, all who run faithfully are rewarded in the end. No matter how long we have run, we are all rewarded equally as we're told in Matthew chapter 20 first 16 verses we all receive the prize but in order to receive the prize we must run with endurance we are told that not all who believe will be rewarded there's more to it than just belief Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, only those who run the race with true faith, not just belief, but true faith and diligence will endure to the end. This faith must be the kind that encourages obedience to the Word, knowledge of which the faithful have sought and gained for themselves. Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is baptized. He who believes and obeys will be saved. But he who never believed will be condemned for lack of obedience, for lack of diligence, for lack of whatever you may call it. But if we are not willing to be obedient, then we cannot finish the race. 
I don't know where you stand in your life. I don't know if you're a faithful child of God or not. Maybe it is that you've never obeyed the gospel. Maybe you need to come in repentance. But certainly, as we always do, we offer an invitation. If you're subject to the invitation in any way, whether it be to come in obedience or repentance, ask for prayer on your behalf, if there's some way that we can help you. We give you that opportunity as together we stand and as we sing. I have decided